These are the daily lectionary comments for October the 17th. We're going to look at Deuteronomy chapter 15, beginning at verse 19. We have uh, a series of seemingly uh, unrelated commands about things that are going to be important when the people get into the land of Israel. We'll talk more about that in a second. In Matthew chapter 13, beginning at verse 44, we have three parables, short parables about the nature of the kingdom of God. Deuteronomy chapter 15, beginning at verse 19. Remember the overall context uh, that the people of God are on the plains of Moab, just east of the Jordan River. They have not yet entered into the promised land. They're about to. Uh, And Moses is giving, uh, he's he's recapitulating the various commands of God. But there's there's a different emphasis now. Uh, and the emphasis now are the commands that particularly need to be on, on the people's minds as they begin to enter into the land and live in the land that God was giving them. So things are about to change. And so some commands are going to get a little bit more emphasis than they were given uh, before. And that has to do with the fact that they're going to be in the land and the fact that God is going to choose a place of worship. We will later learn this will be Jerusalem as a permanent place of worship. And, and that hasn't been the case yet. So the, these commands are kind of loosely connected uh, that way. First, he talks about the dedication of the firstborn. Now, this seems almost random that he would be talking about um, a sabbatical year and, and dealing with poverty in the land and, and, and charity uh, toward, the, toward the poor in the land. And then suddenly he starts talking about the dedication of the firstborn. And one may wonder how he's coming up with this. And to be honest, it's it's not entirely clear why this particular topic follows now, except that right after he starts talking about uh, the firstborn, he starts talking about Passover. Now, if you go back to Exodus chapter uh, 12 and 13, you'll see that the connection between Passover and the, the particular status of firstborn is very, very tight because it was the firstborn that were killed in Egypt and the firstborn of the Israelites that were spared. They became holy. And in the context of the original Passover was this uh, the, the business about the firstborn must be uh, redeemed. Uh, must be consecrated to the Lord and either dedicated to the Lord if, if it's an animal given in sacrifice, uh, if it was appropriate for that, or be killed. Now, uh, so he's talking about the importance when you get into the land that the firstborn be consecrated to the Lord and not be used for ordinary things. So your firstborn ox would not be used for ordinary plowing because it's holy to the Lord. It belongs to him. And in time, it will be offered at the central place of worship. Uh, Likewise, you know, the firstborn lamb was not to be sheared, was not to be treated as ordinary property because it belonged to the Lord being the firstborn. And it was to be offered at the central place of worship uh, when God would choose it. So the central place of worship is is important uh, as a theme, drawing these together. Then, Then he starts talking about three great pilgrimage feasts that's uh, the Feast of Passover, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Booths. Now, actually, there were a number of other festivals that Moses does not talk about here. You can go back to Leviticus 23. Uh, Numbers also gives a list. Exodus has a list of these uh, of these ceremonies. In, in Deuteronomy chapter 16, we only have three, Passover, Weeks, and Booths. And the reason is, why only these three? And, and by the way, th- this is a, a much more condensed explanation of of these uh feasts as well 
Moses is assuming that people know what these festivals are, but the reason why he's singling these out is they all involve a pilgrimage to the central place of worship, which of course didn't exist yet. But once it exists, once the people are in the land, uh, then God will choose a place that was originally at Shiloh, it would later be moved to Jerusalem. Then every year uh, on these three feasts, uh, males who were able to make the trip were to represent their families at these uh, at these uh, festivals, those who lived in in Israel, and that's why he talks about these three uh, particular uh, festivals, and doesn't talk about many other festivals because they're not pilgrimage festivals. And finally, uh, he he talks about uh, another thing that will become very very important in in the um, uh, in the in the promised land. Up till this time, Moses has been with the people, and God has has been uh, you know talking with Moses, and they had set up a system of justice whereby uh, inferior judges would try to solve disputes among people, and then if it was too difficult, it would be brought uh, to Moses. But they're going to go into the land, and Moses isn't going to be with them, and God isn't going to be directly uh, sort of judging these things anymore. And so the emphasis on justice in the land is really, really important. And there are two words that are used almost synonymously in this little section of, of uh, Deuteronomy 16, uh, 18 and following. The two words are justice and righteousness. Justice and righteousness almost mean the same thing, but they don't quite. And he's talking about the quality of justice and how important justice and righteousness shall be in the land, that judges be appointed to pursue it. Justice and only justice, Moses says. Actually, to be truthful, the Hebrew word that's, that's translated here, justice, is literally righteousness. Those words are sometimes so close to one another. Righteousness and only righteousness you shall pursue. Well, the importance of this, uh, note that uh, justice is never, ever, ever, uh, justice and righteousness in the word of God is not a matter of the whims of the king. It's not a matter of the whims of the wealthy. It is not a matter of the whims of the powerful. Justice and righteousness are a thing that exists apart from the whims of individual people. And so uh, uh, righteousness is that which accords to the word of God, that which is right in God's ordering of things. Justice is that which accords to fairness or everybody getting what they properly deserve under the law of God. So there is this idea in, in, in uh, the books of Moses uh, of, of the law as being something above human beings. It comes from God and is rooted in God. It is not rooted in the king. It is not rooted in the state. Uh, it is not rooted in whatever produces a good outcome. It is a thing that exists. And you might say, boy, that makes perfect sense when you realize that all of this is built upon the Ten Commandments to begin with. The law, the instruction of God, what's right, what's true, what's just, is not what people say it is. It's not what people can purchase. It's not what people can get. It is what God has established, and a true judge on earth is one that judges justly and righteously according to the word of God and according to what's true. That is really a very profound difference between the law and justice in Israel and the law and justice in other ancient Near Eastern cultures, and frankly, what the law and justice is in much of our modern world today. It is rooted in God and his word and some transcendent truth that is permanent 
and lasting, and a good judge seeks it out. It cannot be purchased. It must be found. Matthew chapter 13, beginning at verse 44, we're finishing up the so-called day of parables. And we look at two very, very similar parables, the parable of the hidden treasure and the parable of the pearl of great price. Both of these parables are very similar in that they share the theme, number one, of the great value of, of the kingdom. There's something about the kingdom of God which is of extraordinary value. And on account of that great value, uh, it is worth all. Okay, so uh, uh, that, that's the first thing. It is a thing of great value. The second thing is that the, the kingdom is hidden. It's, it's, it's a, a treasure hidden in a field. It's a pearl that one must go looking for through many oysters until you find a pearl of great price. So the kingdom of God is not like a pile of gold that everybody can look at and fight over. In truth, uh, some people will be looking right at it and not even recognize its great value. Now, fundamentally, when we look at these two uh, parables, there are two fundamental ways that we can uh, interpret this. Both of them uh, are, are, you know, have, their, have their points. So we shouldn't say it's only one or only the other. That's part of the, 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 the brilliance of parables. And the question is, who is the man who finds the treasure? And who is the merchant who finds the pearl of great price? Okay, one interpretation would say the man who finds the treasure, the merchant who finds the pearl is you and I. And the pearl or the treasure is Jesus and it's the kingdom. And we find it and it is hidden in the word. It is hidden in the church, but we find it. And when we find it, we are prepared to give up everything for, at least we ought to be. So uh, undertaking baptism means that we have entered into a debt of unlimited liability with God. Whatever this costs, we will pay it. Uh, at least we should pay it unless we're fools. So uh, it, is, it is of such value that not only will we pay this great price, but we will do it joyfully because of the value of the thing that we have had. So. What, what, does it, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? But on the other hand, if you have gained everything in the kingdom of God, what difference does it make if you forfeit your life? So the kingdom of God for us is such, of such value that, that we are prepared to give away everything for it. Uh, and and uh, so that's one interpretation. Another interpretation the man who finds the treasure or the merchant who searches for the pearl is Jesus. Jesus is searching for something and what he finds is us. He finds us in this world uh, and he so loves us and so loves the world that he gives himself. He lays down his life for his friends. He gives all that he has in order to purchase and win us. And so that's why we say that we've been purchased in one, not with silver or gold, but with the holy precious blood and the innocent suffering death of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that is a, a, another, a sort of a Christological uh, um, uh, interpretation of these two uh, parables. Each of them have uh, brilliant truths that, that a Christian should, should listen to and think about. That's why Jesus says things like, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Note also that the parable of the net is very similar to the parable of the weeds in that 
the separation of the righteous and the wicked is delayed to the end. Meanwhile, uh, you know, both good and bad fish are all, you know, all captured in the net. The angels will accomplish this on the last day. We are not to try to accomplish it. Um, but something that's a little bit different uh, is in the parable of the net, note that uh, the net is much more aggressive. It's going out and catching fish, not just watching things grow in a field. So the church is actually like a net. It's going out and getting people. Uh, and, and also note the, the expression fish of every kind. And think about how that goes with uh, you know, making disciples of all nations. So in other words, we're not going out just to find a certain kind of fish. We're gathering all kinds, all different kinds of fish. And among those all different kinds of fish, there are good fish and bad fish. And the angels will separate the good and the bad on the last day. Meanwhile, we in the church are busy trying to seek and to save the lost of whatever kind and wherever we find them.